Hi, I'm Johnny Pollard, and welcome to the One Giant Mind podcast. In this episode, I chat with Amina. Amina is a 20-year veteran in the meditation practice, and she came to the mic to share an experience that she had with her teacher regarding the purpose and meaning of meditation, which she disagreed with very strongly, and it left quite an impression on her. And so she asked me what my perspective on meditation is, and whether there is any one particular type that is the best. It gets juicy. Enjoy. So I'm going to start with a question, um, sort of from my meditation teacher training. That was an uh, an exchange I had with one of the teachers that caused me a lot of pain, actually, and it stayed with me. So I would love to have some uh, reflection on that. I come to meditation from my Sufi practice. I'm a Muslim,、mm. and I've been a Sufi for about、I'm、practicing Sufi. You know, you hope to be a Sufi. You know, inshallah, I'll be a Sufi. But I've been、uh, part of a Sufi order and practicing for about twenty-three years.、Hmm. And、um, in the class, we had a question. We all had to put questions into a bowl, and then somebody took it out. And the question was, "What's the best kind of meditation?" And so, you know, different people took. Turns asking, and some you know someone was saying, "Well, you know, really, this kind of secular Buddhist meditation—that's the best kind." And somebody else dissed, you know, Vedic meditations that us,、oh, you know, just it's so silly; it didn't work for me at all. Somebody was like, "You know, TM, oh, it's just a formula." And I said, in my mind, the best meditation, the best form of meditation, is the one that gets you to where you're trying to get to, and. The teacher said, "No, no, no, Mina. That's not it. Meditation. The point of meditation is to quiet your mind, and that caused me a lot of pain because, in my experience, that's the bottom rung of meditation. If you quiet your mind, that's the that's the first step, and then you know, as you go on, ideally, in in my experience, that you get a sense of or." As you progress, you, that you get a sense of unity, as you were saying, almost harmony. So that as you're breathing, you are breathing with the universe and with all sentient beings, or all all forms, sentient and non-sentient. And that perhaps the the next step is gnosis and a sense of connection and knowing about, you know, I don't know what you call it, but the universe, and then. You know, the final step perhaps is enlightenment. So that's on, you're on your your way, and I feel like all a lot of the emphasis on、um, secular meditation is almost limiting where where you can go with the levels of meditation. So that that was sort of my question. I guess what what is the point of meditation then?、Hmm. Well, again, that comes down to who's asking. I tend not to speak in absolutes. I always preface with, "This is my perspective," and you can either engage in a, a dialogue with me to explore whether that's relevant for you or not.、Um, 
And so, again, I'll preface it with, this is my perspective. <laughs> the, the purpose of meditation, meditation is a means by which we gain access to a deeper, realer, more meaningful experience of being alive. We are all alive, and yet most of us seem to be struggling with why and how to, to be alive that is of some relevance and significance to something that's deeper in us. We all have a deep nature. We're like the ocean. You know, we can observe the surface level of the ocean and get completely enamored with all the goings on on the surface of the ocean, the, the rising and falling undulations of waves rising and crashing and the whole drama of the surface. And only focus on that, which is what most people are generally doing, identifying with the surface layer of our experience as human beings. And we can very easily forget by just constantly giving our attention to the surface layer of things Forget that there is a depth to us, but it doesn't mean that the depth is not there. It does not mean that the depth of the ocean ceases to exist because we're ignoring it. And um, when we uh, acknowledge that we have a depth, cease ignoring that experience, um, and allow ourselves to explore how we might be able to make contact with this experience, what it gives rise to is a deeply satisfying and meaningful relationship to being alive. Meaning is imbued in it. Reason, purpose, knowingness is a, a part of the experience. And, and it defines our humanity, actually. It reveals to us who and what we are. And so it's my perspective that meditation in all its forms are processes um, that facilitate the ever-increasing intimacy with that depth. Yeah? as a, Just as a general thing. Or a, a, an even simpler way of saying it is increasing awareness, expanding awareness of who and what we are and why we're here. And it's a, a, a modern misconception that meditation is about just stilling the mind. It's not a, a false statement to say that meditation is about stilling the mind. It's my opinion that it's a false statement to say, no, meditation is only about stilling the mind. In, in my opinion, you've missed the point. We still the mind so that we can behold our deeper nature, so that we can interact with ourselves in a subtler, quieter, more coherent state and perceive the subtlety of who we are. The surface level of the ocean can often mask the depth of the ocean because there's so much activity on it. If we can quell the, the rising and falling waves for a moment, what we can possibly do if we're on top of it, if, 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 if the, the surface of the ocean falls so still that it becomes super symmetric, absolutely glass-like, we can see straight through it and perceive the depth immediately 
because we've quelled the surface of it. And so that, that particular individual that made that statement may have meant that and didn't articulate it, but may not have meant it because they don't personally understand it. There are a lot of people that are in positions of teaching meditation that have learnt in a silo and it hasn't necessarily been provide, uh, they haven't necessarily been given a very broad context for why they're meditating. Um, and their teachers were very convincing. And so they become indoctrinated and they continue on sharing that message. Just because somebody is a meditation teacher and just because somebody is a meditation teacher that's been trained by somebody who is a meditation teacher doesn't necessarily mean that they have all the answers or an absolute perspective. The litmus test for me, for somebody that has a very deep and broad understanding, is that their personal worldview is inclusive of everything. There is a place for all the different types of practices and meditations in their worldview. It can be contextualized in a whole model, in a bigger picture model. And at the moment, there are a lot of models that exclude all the other models. And they define themselves as that. And what we're going to notice over a very short period of time, I hope, is the dissolving of these human-made walls. And we start contextualizing these med different meditation practices into a greater system that takes into consideration the different functions of the mind that these different techniques stimulate. So you rattled off a whole bunch of different um, types of meditation that elicit different responses in the mind uh, for different purposes. Now, what's not really understood by most people is that the mind emerges out of this abstract awareness state, which we refer to as being, in layers sequentially. And I'd actually like to take you through the exercise to kind of make my point. We describe being as a state of unbounded awareness that is never switched off. It can never be switched off. It's always there. And that is lively with a creative intelligence that desires expression. This is the, the foundation of our human nature. And so in the sequence of things, being is primary. We are human beings. We even call ourselves human beings. I am a human being, you are a human being, and that beingness describes what we are, a state of awareness that just is, simply being in this moment. Out of beingness, we notice that we are an individual. We notice that I'm an individual, I exist, and I'm having an experience. What we notice is our capacity to notice. We become aware that we are aware. I describe that function as the first function of the mind. Being is beyond the mind. Being gives rise to the mind. And the first layer of the mind is witnessing, where we're able to witness the fact that we are alive and we are an individual and we are conscious. The second function to emerge out of witnessing is the awareness that whilst I'm witnessing, what I'm witnessing is I have a spontaneous, natural, instinctive response 
to my existence. Now, when I'm established in being, in the innocence of my awareness, leading with innocent curiosity, what I behold is the magnificence of my existence. And my first and natural response to that is an outpouring of love, a recognition of its magnitude and this deep abstract feeling of belonging to it and wanting to participate in it, nurture it. And we notice that these waves are patterned in a particular way, instinctual responses. And I describe these instinctual responses as waves of love expressing action, or another word for it is wisdom. Wisdom is the way in which we act towards something that we love. And that instinct is expressed as an abstract intelligence that we call our intuition. So what we notice in our witnessing state emerge out of our being is a creative intelligence, and I call that intuitive perception. So the, the second function of the mind out of witnessing is intuitive perception. But we, we don't really understand our intuition until we're able to witness it, to see it to know it, to connect with it in that way. So witnessing is primary, intuitive perception is secondary. And then tertiary, out of intuitive perception, is when those impulses of energy that are imbued with the desire to connect and, and nurture the, the sense of belonging to the magnificence and the sacredness of life is coherent, structured, conceptual, delineated ideas that give me a, a means by which I can make conceptual meaning of my experience, prioritize an order or sequence how I'm going to go about expressing myself. In that, and we call that level thinking. So we have witnessing, intuitive perception, and out of intuit our intuition, thoughts become structured in the mind. We become clear about what it is that I'm experiencing, what it is that I'm feeling. And then once we're, once we're clear we're having a coherent thought, we then spontaneously begin focusing on that which is most desirable that we wish to be expressive of. Focus becomes the next uh, layer of the mind, if the fourth. And then out of the fourth function of the mind, when we focus, which is essentially just directing our intention-latent attention, towards the object of desire, whether it be a person, a thing, an idea, when we make contact with that person, thing, or idea, whereby we are fully expressing our intention towards it, into it, and we are in relation, what, what enabled us to do that is connection. A function of the mind is connecting. Our mind is seeking to connect. Right now, you're listening to me, you're nodding your head, you're in agreement, you're connecting. We are in a perpetual state of connecting. All the five functions of the mind are aligned in this dynamic right now. And you're established in being, I'm established in being, you're witnessing your response, you're, you're, you're listening to the commentary in your, in your mind, you're listening to your own intuition, you're passing it through your filters, does this feel right to me? Is this making sense? And then it's structuring itself in a new way inside your mind as thoughts, and then you're focusing 
on the next thing I'm saying and you're connecting the concepts and it goes like this in a sequence. But as we get momentum in the present moment, it sort of acts as, um, they're like propellers, uh, on a, on a, on a spinning or, or blades on a, on a spinning propeller that makes one whole thing witnessing intuitive perception, thinking, focusing, connecting. And that's what makes up the mind. And, um, so any technique that we, uh, know of in the world, one of those, te- any of those techniques is stimulating and enhancing and developing at least one, if not many, of those functions of the mind. And they simply fall into a category of, you know, is it a witnessing technique? Is it an intuiting technique? Is it a thinking technique? Is it a focusing technique? Or is it a connecting technique? Or what is it primarily? And there is a sixth category, which as far as I'm concerned is the primary in terms of starting a practice out, which is the being technique. Because when we're established in being, the witness spontaneously emerges. Whereas if we start with thinking techniques or focusing techniques and we haven't yet established the witness, it's very difficult to connect with ourselves and make a sense of what's going on inside of ourselves. We can't witness what's going on. We're often just driven by our thinking. And so we can't, we can't resolve the problem on the level that the problem was created on, as Einstein said so eloquently. So, um, when we establish being, we're able to just elegantly align the functions of the mind and see coherently where and how we can exercise these different functions. So this is the one giant mind model that is inclusive and sequential. It has an opinion, but it is absolutely inclusive of all the techniques. It just stipulates, based on the condition of our mind right now, our collective condition, this is the place to really start. And a lot of people might disagree with that because, you know, they, they have their view. And this is why I say, you know, this is my perspective. And I absolutely respect every other person's perspective. What I don't respect is when somebody says, no, this is absolutely the way it is because it shut you down. It shut down something that you felt was very meaningful and valid for you. And, you know, let it be a wonderful lesson that even any teacher that stands before you, that speaks in absolutes like that, um, you know, probably hasn't totally got it <laughs> in that respect. You know, we'll always speak, you know, very, very, sp- very particularly to accommodate your own personal development of your own perspective, but guide you to a perspective that they believe is is right and whole and complete. Yeah. Did that help? It did help. And I should add to that to give her some respect. It may have been the end of the day. She may have been tired. You know, there there are lots of reasons that she could have just said, you know, enough of your other, uh, your kind of bigger story. This is what we're learning here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's very possible. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But that was helpful. Mm, Great. Thanks. You're welcome. If you're somebody that likes to talk about meditation and the next time you find yourself in a conversation and you're debating the merits of one technique versus another, 
I encourage you to really reflect on the model that I just shared and consider the fact that every single meditation plays an important role in the development of fulfilling the potential of our mind. And it's really just about the sequence that we practice them to enliven that potential. A big thank you to the whole One Giant Mind team. Our show producers Trevor Exter and Sean Tomlin, original music composition by Ali, and of course Andrea Stern for providing her beautiful studio space for this podcast. If you're interested in learning meditation, you can download the free One Giant Mind mobile app on iTunes or Google Play. And if you're a passionate meditator and feel inspired to share meditation with the world by teaching it, you can apply it to the One Giant Mind Teacher Training Academy. You can learn more by going to onegiantmind.com. That's the number one, giantmind.com. Looking forward to seeing you in the next episode.